It's got five um, glass houses, which are standalone glass houses, and two uh, vineries, which are built against the, the wall. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome to episode three from Pot and Cloche Garden Podcasts. In this episode, I talk to Richard Gatenby, who's been head gardener at Barnsley House since the 1990s. He worked at Rosemary Beery and oversaw the transition from family home to boutique hotel. Many changes have obviously taken place with the property since then, but Richard continues to maintain and develop the garden in a way that's sensitive to the methods and styles that Mrs Veery used during her time in Barnsley. I take a trip through the winding country lanes to find ex-BBC researcher Julie Dolphin. Along with her husband, Julie's developing the nursery at Miserden on a beautiful site with its original glass houses and vineries. Specialising in pelagoniums, salvias and a wide range of perennials, the nursery also boasts a super cafe and has pop-up evening dinners in the vineries and it's fast becoming a popular destination for food and garden lovers in the Cotswolds. I talk to my long-time gardening friend Jeff Carr, where we have our regular product review feature. Back in Barnsley, I'm stood by the pond in the Temple Garden, and Richard tells us more about Rosemary Veery and her early years at the house. Rosemary Veery, when she was at the height of her fame, she was most probably one of the greatest gardeners of the 20th century. Um, but she came here, she married into the Veery family, who bought this property in the 1930s and she'd married their son David in 1939 and in 1951 they moved into this the big house here which is Barnsley House. And at that point I gather she wasn't quite gardening was she or she was just about to start gardening? Um, well she'd been gardening the experience she'd got from the war years in the Dig for Victory campaign was primarily vegetable growing, her husband David was quite often away in the SOE in, in Europe in, in the Second World War uh, so she was one of many who were growing vegetables to feed the nation that was her experience um, so she wasn't really sort of like a, a decorative gardener at that time So she comes here she finds a garden that I assume was very different to what we can see today. Um, and was it the fact that she had the space? She just had to get on and garden? Um, well, I suppose the space we're in at the moment, just outside the temple, uh, there wasn't a pond here, there wasn't a temple here, but it was sort of an enclosed area like this. Um, but looking down the other end of the garden where the fountain is, that was a lot of that was fruit bushes, currant bushes, um, old ground elder. Oh, we still have a bit. <laughs> and so it was more a little bit of an ornamental garden. And the main bit was over at the wilderness, what we call the wilderness now, which was more formal herbaceous borders that her mother-in-law had put in. From what I've heard, um, Robin Lane Fox said that her interest in gardening coincided with a real new wave of interest in uh, English gardening, both here and abroad. And that was sort of combined with economic... Um, improvements we were in the 80s by then um, and also um, uh, improvements in publishing whereby you know you could illustrate a book with photographs at a far better quality than anybody had ever seen before what other reasons do you see for her success um well i think up until then sort of after the post-war years in gardening were really all about uh control straight edges formality um 
that kind of gardening. Mrs Veery's approach to gardening was more of a naturalistic kind of cottage style uh, kind of gardening, mixing formal with informal, using a lot of desi uh, design influences and inspirations from established gardens and bringing them together in quite a unique st style here at Barnsley. Um, and also, I think uh, she created this garden, but uh, her husband David died in um, in the eighties, and there was there was a big impetus then. Obviously, the, the you know the property was there and they owned property, but the, there was there was the need for an income as well, and um, opening the garden, um, selling plants, writing books were all sources of revenue as well. As but she you know she had a real gift for writing books, um, and she enjoyed it, and uh, but also it was a useful source of revenue as well. But I think she she what people liked about her gardening style was it like a breath of fresh air from the the you know um, uh, formal controlled style of the 1970s really. Yes, yeah. So. That's Rosemary Veery, the garden we're in now. Can you give us a brief overview of what there is um, here in terms of space and maybe a few of the features? Yeah, well, the bit we're in this side of the wall, we have an ornamental kitchen garden over the other side of the wall in, across the lane, um, but this part is most probably about three, three and a half acres. And somebody once described it as uh, a garden of regions and districts with their own character and feel but they were all interconnected with each other by views in and out of, of them. So we're still in the pond garden here, the temple garden. We're looking across now. We can look across through a magnolia, across some crocosmia, onto some yews that are clipped, and then there's a frothy holodiscus in the background. But we're also looking down a formal view to a frog fountain, and we can get glimpses under branches. There's pleached limes, there's uh, lollipop privets, and we're looking under to skirts of statues with clipped box. So there's lots of little glimpses in and out of each area, but we're very much in an enclosed... Um, rose planted styled kind of garden not formally a rose garden we have tree peonies in here um, self-seeding lavetras and that kind of thing we have some xantidashes by the pool but it's um, got its own character but we're looking onto other things um, before we look at all the individual features in the garden um, could you just quickly tell us a little bit about the house that's almost directly in the middle of the uh, of the space yeah the, the house uh, built in 1697 it's, it was extended in the 1800s um arts and crafts sort of style house um was uh, as i said built in the latter half of the 1600s was a rectory for quite a long time and the, the rectors that lived here they, they added they put walls around the garden they added to the house they put in a ha-ha a ditch at the other side they planted trees which are now big for shelter so um those were very like sort of pivotal in giving mrs Reed an advantage in creating a garden here but the, the house yes it does sort of um sit right next to the garden and the garden goes nearly all the way around it apart from the drive that's uh, it's encircled by planting up the front which is the old back of the house uh, it's got all box like amorphous um cloud prune box and then you come round to the old front which is now the back and the garden opens up in front of you so that you come out the back door and you're in the um in the garden right well let's turn around about 180 degrees and we can start looking at some of the features and one of the features is this amazing temple what's the history behind this because earlier you mentioned it wasn't here originally no it wasn't this has come from uh, in 1962 david veary brought it back from um, fairford park just down the road um, and you could do that in the 1960s <laughs> without Cotswold District Council um, 
uh, putting an prohibition order on you, an enforcement order on you. So um, it's um, yes, it's a, a classical kind of temple, um, and it's quite pivotal in the garden really because they put it here. They brought it like a large jigsaw on the back of a lorry and put it up, and. And then they sat in the back of it and they looked down and they thought, oh my God, there's nothing at the other end of the garden. So that's it. by putting something at this end, it, it was a catalyst to create something down the other, the far end of the garden. Well, should we walk past the yeah. pond and head on down in that direction? Yep. Right, so let's walk down through, what do you call this, the lime walk? This is a lime walk, yeah. yeah. And what's the history behind this? Um, well, I think it was, I, can't, I don't know whether it was planted before or after the Laburna March, um, but it's, uh, it runs parallel to the grass view that we were looking down from the, um, the temple, and um, limes uh, clipped on the sides throughout the season for access and shape and definition, but we leave the tops on because um, it's a red stemmed variety so a low winter sun hitting the tops in the winter you get this red effect on the top of the hedge so we'll leave that up until March and then we prune it back and use them for pea sticks and that kind of thing Yes, now we've stopped just before the uh, entrance into the uh, Laburnum Tunnel Mm. Um, a lot of people have seen pictures of this it's sort of a a reduced version of some of the ones that you see perhaps at uh, Bodmont or somewhere like that It is, yeah and uh, Mrs really said Bodnant wasn't the inspiration for um, this Laburna March. It's a very different kind of Laburna March. It's uh, very informal, pruned in a very sort of garden-esque manner, quite charming. It's not a horticulturally correct pruned Laburnum tunnel, as you would see at Bodnant. It's an impressive thing at Bodnant. Um, but in a way, Bodnant did... Um, Uh, inspire her because Russell Page wrote a book called The Education of a Gardener in 1962 and in it he said there is a laburnum arch at Bodnant and Mrs Reilly did read read that she did read that and uh, and so indirectly yes it did uh, inspire her to create a laburnum arch here but this is very different as I said it's smaller it's um, more in a very garden-esque way and also Mrs Villiers has done the master stroke of planting a load of purple alliums that uh, synchronised at flowering at the same time as the laburnum so we have this bright yellow and purple effect yes um, which is I don't think it's been done anywhere else and it was I suppose one of the most photographed parts of the garden and also of any garden in the world really it was a very iconic um, uh, picture Yes, well, it's not in flower at the moment. It's undergone quite a series of renovations, hasn't it, in recent years? It has, yeah. I mean, when when I first came here, I had sort of a bit of a five-year plan, really, and um, I wasn't going to be in five years, and it wasn't going to be my problem when it got old. But uh, it became my problem because I've been here a lot more than five years, and the the chairman and the owner, we were walking around the garden together, and I said, I think in two years time people are going to say why didn't you do something so and they said what do you suggest and I said well I think we should replant it remove the old ones replant it put up a new frame and uh, and so we did again we went through the usual planning procedures of uh, felling trees and everything else contacted English Heritage let them know what we were doing and we have replanted it and we replanted it in 2015 and well as you can see it's going to get pruned in the next couple of weeks and tied in but there's quite a few of those laburnums meeting up now across the tunnel so I would think in two or three years time we'll have it going over the top and 
I think we'll have a bit of a show going on there yeah. again. Yeah. Uh, and the aliens. But the thing is with it, and you almost have got to desensitise yourself from with this job because you could say, what are people going to think? What's happening? You've got to look at it as a part of the garden that needs attention. Uh, you're trying. My main challenge here is to try and keep the garden vigorous and young uh, without it getting stale. And this we needed to do. And I didn't realise it at the time, but the effect it's had on the undergrowth underneath and the uh, borders either side of it is massive because these are not getting shaded by big trees anymore. We've got more lush growth underneath. It was always a very, in my time, a very poor starved, tired looking underneath because there were two there's a lot of herbaceous plants under um, the shade of established trees and they were dominating it and now the pulmonaries are growing like cabbages there's a bigger strontia there coming out the the hot the um the hostas that penelope hobhouse gave um, mrs Vera years back are looking the best i've seen them so it's um, it's had a big knock-on effect in this part of the garden yes yeah it's interesting should we go and have a look at the yeah. frog fountain yeah, yeah. which is the next uh, feature just through there we'll cut under and then along the uh, grass path now this bed on the left has a name, I think, doesn't it? Bob Dash bed. Bob Dash. I think he was uh, an interiors man. I think he, he was a bit of a Christopher Lloyd of the interiors world. He liked strong colours, bold statements. And so, basically, after the uh, the tulips are finished in this border, uh, you know, there's some tatty um, forget-me-not, which will get pulled out, the comfries will get cut back, the alliums will get pulled out the tops, any weed will get weeded out. We'll make clearings... And then we're just going to put like Dahlia Bishop's children in through there. Yes. And zinnias, mixed zinnias, bright colours. So it's just going to be, all the perennials are going to be punctuated up just in a sea of multicoloured bedding out plants, basically. Yes. Uh, and it, it, the, the Bob Dash beds are very good because anything sort of goes really in the colour scheme. So um, that's what we put in there. It gives us a bit of time to play as well, really. Yeah. yeah. Now we're turning our back, but we turned around again and we're facing. I should think people can hear the uh, the fountain. Um, can you describe it and maybe tell me, tell us a little bit about it? Well, this is a frog fountain. There's um, four frogs carved out of something. I have been told by masons that it's most probably Forest of Dean sandstone. It's a very hard, grainy, very tough wearing sandstone. Very heavy. Uh, these are the frogs. They've got like sort of a moss on them, as if they've been there years, which they have. And then there's a base with DRV written on it and two horses and on top of them is uh, like a, a scalloped um, catcher and on top of that is two Cotswold sheep having a sort of a weird kind of tussle that you would never see them do in real life but um, it's quite interesting and the water hits them and comes onto the scalloped area and then drips down into this small pool um, which you can hear now and the we have actually got this is a copy of this one because the old one uh, was falling a bit so we've salvaged it we've kept it and we hope to put the original in uh, the conservatory which was mrs Vivi's conservatory um with a lot of ferns that we've been planting up there and um but this one's an absolutely brilliant copy and it was done by hand i can't believe it's it's exactly the same it just looks newer at the top that's all it does yes. but it's really um yeah yeah amazing I can see a feature to our right. Let's go and have a look. Um, <coughs> perhaps you can tell us a bit about that. Well, we're going up now to the Gothic Summer House, which is the Gothic Summer House, which points due north. Yes. Uh, which is unusual for not a really particularly sunny country, but it points due north. Put in in the 1770s by Charles Coxwell, one of the vicars, 
and um, it's very gothic called the gothic summer house and we use it for weddings now and as you'll see there's guys coming with chairs to yeah. um, put around it and we'll be um, there'll be a wedding here tomorrow or the next day well let's move on this yeah. is a working hotel so let's get out of the way uh-huh. let's head over back towards the house and perhaps we can uh, have a look at the the knot garden we won't go too close there's people having their lunch there i noticed so uh, should we stop here and you can tell yeah, me a bit fine. about it from here yeah yeah um not garden um when mrs veary was obviously she got to the height of fame and she was involved with the garden museum of garden history at uh, lambeth palace and i think she had got the job of uh, studying for, about not gardens for the museum of garden history and she got really interested in them this is in the 1970s and she decided to maybe have one at barnsley house now not gardens are um like a sort of a tudor kind of garden and they are meant to be viewed from above and they need to be in close association with the house um, and, and aligned with it and um, I think somebody once said that the, the knot garden at Barnes House looks like a shadow of the house it's got two designs, a lover's knot uh, and I can't remember the name of the other knot but the big inspirations when she was reading was, was by a guy called Gervais Markham who was writing that sort of you know or 300 years ago about knock gardens and they there was a window there so they've put a window in since they moved in the Vries it wasn't there um, prior to them moving in but they put a stained glass window in there but you can't really see much through it but I wondered if they put that window in to look down on the knock garden yes. when they did it and then put a stained glass window in but um yeah, so um, it, now we have a bit of box blight like everybody else now, so we're monitoring that, that knot garden to see what happens. But we definitely will have to replant some tucurium in there, the new tucurium, um, which is a square that cuts through one of the designs. Yes. I can see from here there's what, three or four different types of plants used in that. Yeah, we have, well, we have Buxus, um, Sempervirens, Fruticosa, which is in there, which is in the more intricate parts which is the one that you can get a lot of um, box bite with. And then we have another box which comes around the edge of it, which is a much more tougher and hardier variety and doesn't seem to be affected by the box bite so much. And then we've got, I think it's uh, Elegantissima, which is the variegated one. We have a golden box in the centre of one of them. And we also got the Tucrim. And then there's four hollies, one at either corner, which were actually grown from cuttings that Mrs Vili took. Were they? Then they are what, Golden King? I think so, yeah, yeah. they're Alta Clorensis. Yeah. Yes. Brilliant. Well, let's uh, head off and have a look at one more feature now. Right, we've walked across the lane. We've come out of the wall garden and we, we're walking into what really, uh, can I call it world famous, but certainly the famous potager. Um, at Barnsley House. Can you tell us a bit more about this, Richard? Well, it's a vegetable garden, and it's been a vegetable garden for a long time. But in 1979, Mrs Veary's head gardener, Arthur Turner, that she inherited from her mother-in-law, retired. And because of that, she was allowed to have this kind of vegetable garden. Uh, before that, it was more of a conventional vegetable garden, straight lines, four quadrants, uh, crop rotation, um, straight lines, uh, soil plant, soil plant, 
that kind of thing. Productive was everything, was key. But uh, Mrs. Veery had read um, William Lawson's book, um, uh, The Country Housewife's Garden, English Housewife's Garden, and in it he said a vegetable garden should not only be uh, productive but beautiful too. And this layout is out of his book. This was written in 1617. He also wrote... He didn't call it that at the time, but basically he was touching on um, companion planting, um, ornamentals, and uh, productivity, and aesthetics. And quite a progressive book um, for the early part of the 17th century. And But Mrs. Veery's brought a lot of different styles together, you know, things like um, uh, box-planted parterres that she'd seen in Valandry in France, uh, the plan out of William Lawson's book, uh, David Veery could get hold of paving materials. He was an architectural historian, so he was quite well-connected and could get hold of paving materials, that kind of thing, railings, and iron gates and that kind of thing, temples that we've just seen. In the yes. And... Um, so it was a, an amalgamation of a lot of different inspirations and opportunities and, and, and it's created this unique garden. It is, when people see it, they, it either blows them away or they go away shaking their heads, heads in frustration because if you're an old school garden like my father, he would not want to grow vegetables in a garden like this. But, and I used to say it was a compromise, but it's not a, a compromise. It's exactly what Mrs. Veery wanted. It was, he was a beautiful place in which to grow chard, some lettuce, some garden peas. Garden peas today have gone, we had a lunch tour today, and they've, they've had the garden peas today. Um, there's some, um, some small, um, I think, leeks coming on down here. We're going to plant some chicory amongst them. Um, the beetroot's going over now. Um, but you've got artichokes. We've got some cut flowers, sweet peas, got some sorrel over there. They make a sorrel um, pesto to go with um, seed trout and that later on in the year. So it's, um, it's a very interesting garden and, it, and it, it's not a compromise. It's exactly what Mrs. really wanted her garden to be. And peop when in the 80s, people like Joy Larkin came, who was another like ornamental gardening, vegetable gardener, and she was inspired by what she was what Mrs. Veery was doing here at Barnsley and and, and then ran with it and and, and then it just everybody started doing the ornamental vegetable garden side and it is a good you know <clears throat> it is high maintenance when you've got a pottage of this size but it's also you could take a lot from this to adapt to your own garden you could have a small bed even if you have a small garden you could just have it you know basically if you've got a thin little patch you could do this exactly Santalina hedge along one side have some lettuces and chard planted in it got an upright box at the top you've got a bit of self-seeding going on it's a really nice um, little area to your garden you don't have to take the whole vegetable garden away with you just little elements from the potage are very trans transferable to your own garden so we've got the dissecting and intersecting yeah. paths um, we've got these apple trees here they're trained into a <coughs> what a goblet form yeah, is that these are the um, apple goblets and that's something that Mrs V I think just decided to do um, and it's uh, there was a frame around them but we've taken that down now because they're self-supporting but they're um, yeah they're very good the apple goblets and they're one of them is there's two of them are russets and the, the other two are another variety I'm not sure what the other variety is well Richard thank you very much for your time it's been brilliant thank you um, what do people do if they want to come and have a look at the garden um, generally, um, it's open all year round. Um, there are sort of, like, sort of the, the exclusive use events sometimes, which um, 
which is basically a wedding tends to be yes. but we have small weddings which aren't exclusive use but if generally you know open all year round and if you um, want to just look around the garden have a cup of tea you're very welcome to do that um, and, and, and be a garden visitor you, you don't have to have your wedding here you don't have mm-hmm. to um, come to a cinema night which we do you can just if you want to look at this garden like in the old days then you're very welcome that's fantastic yeah. well thank you very much and uh Good luck. I know you've got a lot to do. You've had a, a party you were showing around this morning. Yeah. You're having to speak to me, so you might actually get some gardening done today. <laughs> I'll get dirty now. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah. All right, Bye. Bye. That was brilliant. I had such a great time. Thanks, Richard, if you're listening. Next, I'm off into the wilds in the country lanes of the Cotswolds where I trapped down Julie Dolphin at Misden Nursery. Julie Dolphin, thank you very much for spending some time with us today. Um, let's talk a little bit about you before we talk about the nursery, because you've had an interesting career. Um, I think you've worked with the BBC before now, haven't you? That's right, yes, I worked on Gardener's World. Uh, in fact, I've worked uh, for the BBC a couple of times over my career. Uh, my uh, career actually started as a journalist and then I became uh, a producer working in features and at uh, the BBC in Bristol. And then I did various other jobs um, before I got the gardening bug and, and went to college, went to Bristol Botanic Garden and did my RHS qualifications. Uh, then I, sorry, this is a real potted history of my life, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I did ask. Yeah, and then uh, and then we went to live in Holland for two years, which was a really interesting horticultural experience. Uh, did you move there for the whole horticulture? Or, no, no, my my husband worked, moved there for for work, but I ended up helping to set up a community garden in the Hague, which was interesting to work with the local people. And I did various projects out there, and then when we returned to the UK. Gardener's World had moved to Bristol from Birmingham and uh, I was keen to work on the show so I asked them if there were any jobs and the uh, job of horticultural researcher came my way and that sort of married up my TV career and my passion for horticulture. Yes. So I worked on Gardener's World until I came to the nursery. Yeah so how did you end up here? You know little nursery middle of the countryside what brought you here? Well um my husband and I, we decided to go house hunting in Gloucestershire. As I said, I worked in Gloucestershire and I love the county. So we were just looking online at houses and uh, stumbled across the nursery for sale, which was extraordinary, really, because it's, a, it's a, a business we thought about having many years ago. Um, and then it, time was never right with children. So we, I saw this and thought, wow, that looks amazing. That, those, those beautiful glass houses that are in the picture. And we came and saw it, fell in love with it, fell in love with what um, what was f- actually on offer on the nursery, herbaceous perennials, and uh, took it from there, really. And then um, my husband was still working in Holland and commuting every, every week, so that wasn't ideal, so we knew we had to do something about that. And um, pretty... Uh, pretty soon after that he was able to engineer redundancy (laughs) put it that way and uh, we bought the goodwill of the business here Uh, we rent the the site from the Miserden estate and um, we took on the business and hopefully we'll be building that up over the the foreseeable future yes let's talk about this beautiful site because it's got to be one of the most beautiful nurseries in the country it's stunning I mean it's got what seven eight glass houses yes it's got five um glass houses which are standalone glass houses and two uh, vineries which are 
built against the, the wall. Yes. And um, they were built by um, the Foster and Pearson. As I understand it, they were built in the 1920s, so a bit later than some of them, which is one of the reasons why they... St- why they still might be in as good a shape as they're in. I mean, obviously, some of them been, have been done up over time uh, and others need work doing to them, which comes down to myself and my husband. And So uh, so that's a big undertaking. But um, as you can see, absolutely beautiful. Mechanisms still work inside all the old iron ironmongery or however you... Wh- wh- uh, whatever the word is for it. But yes. um, all the metal mechanisms for opening the windows still work no it's stunning so this would have been part of the original estate would it yes so this would have been part of um the kitchen uh, garden part of the uh, the service to the house for providing them with uh, fruit and vegetables um, from what I've been told by people who live in the house still and who <laughs> have worked here that there were nectarines and apricots in the vineries and grapes of course and then there were carnations apparently grown in uh, straight into the ground in, in two of the glass houses so I hear bits and bobs all the time about what was grown here but basically essentially it was it was um, exotic fruit yes uh, for, for the house for the main estate house oh no that's very exciting now you say you you inherited the nursery so there was a certain certain amount of stock that came with it yes have you added to that or yes. taken away any lines etc uh, well we've added to it um so i would say that we've introduced some maybe some newer cultivars to the herbaceous perennials range we've um increased probably increased the production of uh salvias uh, shrubby salvias the more specialist salvias and um we continue to look at what the nursery offers and in which direction we're going to take it but essentially it's a large retail nursery with a specialism of a of herbaceous perennials so by that i mean it sells roses shrubs climbers um so everything that you would get in a garden center yes um but with a specialism that is herbaceous perennials and and a wide choice of yeah i've had a good look around you've got a broad range of perennials as you say but uh, i do like the idea that you specialize in salvias and pelargoniums one of your particular interests is pelargoniums we sell a lot of uh, scented pelargoniums at the beginning of the season and um, so we want to increase that stock going forward and offer people the opportunity of of, of even more scented pelargoniums in the future they are a fabulous plant and ideally suited to the kind of environment we've got here with all these glass houses yes i picked up a tomentosum when i was here that's the mint mint Scented, the yes, scented yeah. one with the um, hairy leaves. Yes, I mean, yes. stunning. You know, it's already yes. about three foot across. Exactly. Yes. It's one of the more vigorous of the scented pelagoniums. Yes. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a particular stunner. And, and like all scented pelagoniums, it has... Uh, fairly insignificant flowers in terms of the sh- f- flower yes, size. Yes, I haven't got any yet. No, yeah, but uh, I don't particularly need them. I don't think. No, <laughs> the leaf, the leaves, the smell, the shape of the leaves, the foliage of scented pelargoniums is what it's about, really. Yes, yeah. Now we're standing around the back of the glass houses so that you don't get distracted by the customers as they stream in. Um, am I allowed to mention Chelsea Flower Show? You are. Now tell us what happened and how you became involved this okay, year. Okay. Okay. Well, we um, were approached by somebody who new Chris Beardshaw, uh, the Chelsea gold medal winning designer, and he was keen to look for some glasshouse space in order to grow grow his plants for Chelsea this year. And he's a nurseryman by training and uh, really went back to his roots. So we enabled him to be able to do that in one of the large glasshouses we've got here. And he grew his plants for Chelsea. 
and uh, together with his wife, his, uh, they 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 brought on the plants, and um, and we saw them come and go to Chelsea, and it was a very exciting period of time yes. for us on the nursery. Um, unusually, he did actually grow his own plants, didn't he? Yes. He didn't get oh, a nursery no. to bring them on no, for no, him. No, no, um, no, he did it himself on site with it with his with his with his wife, and they worked extremely hard watching them at work. Doing the, do, Chris doing his magic was fantastic. <laughs> now, uh, to use a horticultural term, you're not sitting on your laurels. Um, you're getting on, you're developing the whole site. The glass houses are going, undergoing a certain amount of renovation, etc. Um, but one thing that's appeared since I came a year or two ago, it, you've got a cafe here now. We have got a cafe. Um, like everywhere which sells horticultural items these days yeah. uh, people want to be able to come and relax and and have a cup of tea and coffee um, so the idea was just because also we um, as a nursery we also now take the entrance to the formal estate gardens which are absolutely magnificent so we take the entry to the gardens through the nursery and um, so it's becoming a destination both for the gardens and for the village walks and the walks around the, around the estate here and also for the nursery. So the cafe serves everybody, not just uh, people visiting the nursery. So, But what people like, and we know it, is they like to come and see plants and uh, think about buying plants with a cup of tea and a piece of lovely cake. Yes, perfect, perfect. Um, now, you just touched on the estate. Um, don't want to take up too much of your time about that, but... Um briefly what what have they got and what can people expect to see they've got um, huge herbaceous borders which ties in well with what we sell on the nursery absolutely beautiful looking staggering at the moment uh, really uh, very wide and long herbaceous borders fabulous yew hedges the structure in in um, in the on the gardens is magnificent and on also uh, many trees and um, all uh, labeled so that you can see what they are so there's lots to see. So there's the formal garden arrangement with some elements of a kitchen garden and uh, with fruit trees, espalier fruit trees and the like. Uh, but there's also the opportunity to walk around the sort of arboretum areas of the estate gardens. Yes. And are they guided tours or do you just get on with it? You get on with it, basically. Yes. Uh, there are tour, tour coaches, coach tours that come, um, but you essentially pay uh, at our sales shed and then go through rather a grand, beautiful entrance into what then becomes a spectacular site. Thank you for your time, Julie. Uh, one other thing, plans for the future. What can we expect to see in a year's time, two years' time? Anything else changing? I think, um, you know, we'd like to refurbish the glass houses and I'd like to use them for display and presentation so that people can see uh, plants that maybe they can buy in one year and then they can see them as a large specimen in our display areas. I mean, particularly I'm thinking about pelagoniums, you know, lots of bedding pelagoniums. If you can keep them through the winter, you keep them growing and you can produce large plants um, and, and that can look spectacular. So it would just be nice to give people the opportunity to see what's, what's possible. Um, I've also got a couple of other ideas, but I don't want to discuss them right now in case I don't end up doing them. No. But, uh, but I've got, um, yes, and, and, and basically just keep producing really good quality plants. I mean, one thing I haven't said is that the plants that we selected uh, to grow for sale this year, the herbaceous perennials and, and the bedding, in fact, were all grown in peat-free compost. 
So that was something we decided to do quite early on when we decided to take on the nursery because we believe in, that, that, that in peat-free as, as much as possible. We can't guarantee that for every plant on site because they come in from other nurseries. But um, we, we, we do that for the plants that we grow here. And, um, and now we, we sell the, the peat-free compost, so that's, that's really important to us. And that's been phenomenal, and the quality of the plants has, been, uh, has not been affected in any way. And in fact, if anything, I think they're, 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 do, they're thriving. Yeah, that's interesting. So, um, everybody's champing at the bit now. They want to come and have a brownie and browse through your plants. How can they get in touch? How can they find out a little bit more about you? Okay, well, we have a website, which is mizardandnursery.co.uk, and um, we are online, so people can find that online. Um, And there's also an estate website, which is mizardand.org, and mizardand.org has lots of information about the village and the area in general. Yes, and can people get you on Facebook? Are you on there? Yes. yes. Oh, thank you for mentioning that. Yes. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we're on Twitter. So um, we have a, a good, healthy following on the Facebook page of customers, and that seems to be working really well, so people can find us there. Julie, thank you so much. That was fantastic. It's always great to visit your nursery. Anybody listening, check the website before you go, just in case there's any changes. But I can assure you, have a great day out. The local estate has a number of paths crisscrossing it. And on their website that Julie mentioned, there's a number of routes you can take. One down by the lovely lake and one up over and round and back through the village. Um, Several more that I haven't yet explored. So do take a look while you're there. Next, it's product review time. I'm with my long-time gardening pal, Jeff Carr. And um, we discuss products that may or may not be a part of our gardening lives. This is the bit where we do a product review. And I'm just walking through the garden um, into the greenhouse where my friend, Jeff Carr, is waiting for me. Morning, Jeff. Hello, Jeff. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good, good, good. Now... What we're going to do, um, Jeff has some products, or a product, that he's going to uh, show me and uh, tell me why he likes it and uh, perhaps suggest why uh, you might buy it yourself. So, Jeff, what have you got for us? We're in the greenhouse and I'm going to be showing you a handheld device. It's specifically for the greenhouse. It fits in your hand. And it looks like a mini igloo with a hypodermic needle sticking out of the door. It looks like something I used to have on my bike when I was a, a young child, my little chopper. And well, that sound effect you gave there describes it perfectly because there is a squeegee involved. Very nice. Come on, Jeff. what is it? It's a device that is very useful for when you're dealing with seeds that are so small they're like the size of a piece of grain of sand. Ah, so it's a seeder. It's very or useful. Or seed applicator. It's a seed applicator, and I think the best thing to do is if I actually put it into use so you can see how it works. That would be brilliant. Does it have a name, this particular one? Uh, it's called the Hamilton Pro Seeder. Oh, yeah. And if I do a demonstration, then all will be revealed. Brilliant. Let's go. So... I've selected some seeds which are tiny and they're night flocks and they are a good example of the kind of seed that you would use for this product. 
Now, uh, night flock seed is actually, in terms of its colour, it's very light. It's, it's almost white. It's kind of beigey, creamy. So, in order to be able to see the seed when I take it out of the packet, I've got to put it onto a dark background. Yeah. So, immediately, the seed is onto this bit of black plastic. The seed stands out really clearly. If you were using a seed that was dark in colour, say for instance larkspur, which again is a tiny little seed but uh, is almost black, then you would put that onto a white piece of paper so it stands out. The advantage of this tiny little device is that it allows you to pick up the minutest seed really easily and deposit it in a really accurate way for when you're um, sowing the seed. So if I could just point out so you've got the little squeezy bulb there's a tube and on the end there's a, it looks like a hypodermic needle or something like that exactly that's right what, uh, what stops the seed being sucked up inside i'll go ahead and give you a, de a demonstration okay and we'll uh, take it from there so the first thing you do is you depress the squeegee so that all of the air comes out of the device yeah you then hold the what looks like the hypodermic needle against the seed and you just let go. Oh, look, it's picked it up. Whoop, and, you, and there it goes it, straight into the yeah. compost. If I make a little depression into the compost, you'll be able to see that, in fact, you can also just drop it straight into the hole. I see, yes. yeah. And the way it works is as soon as the needle is up against the seed, you let go of the plunger... The incoming air picks up the seed, and then you just press the plunger, yeah, and, and the seed drops off. We're exactly where you want it. Yeah, and once you get into the rhythm, you can just keep going. Jeff, and Jeff's already done four since we've been talking. Five. So, if like me, you're not the kind of gardener who likes to scatter expensive seed everywhere, but trying to be a bit more accurate with it. Yeah. Excellent. That's how it works. That's six done. In fact, I think it is seven. You, you, you dropped one there. Um, but uh, that's amazing. So what do you think of it? Do I, you use it? I use it a lot. Yeah. I use it a lot. And uh, like I say, the main reason I use it is if I'm sowing some seeds, say forget-me-nots, and the whole of the seed tray gets covered in hundreds and thousands of seeds, uh, you end up losing a lot when they, yeah. when they germinate. Uh, because the bigger, more dominant ones completely overshadow the smaller ones. So by doing it individually, it's more time-consuming, Yeah. but you get to use every single seed, um, and it saves the, the time when it comes to pricking out. Yes. So it swings and roundabouts, um, but I like it because it's incredibly accurate, uh, and you can see how many seeds you've got through, you know exactly where you've sown them, and it's one of those things that when, when you see it advertised, you think, come on, <laughs> they're just <laughs> after my money. But once you've used it, you really think, hey, this actually really does work. Now, the proof is in the uh, eating. Now, in front of me, I don't know whether you wanted me to see this, but you've got some mysotis, some forget-me-nots laid out, one little seedling to each cell, and I assume you used it just for that. Exactly. And yeah. if you look at this tray on the right... yes. These are scattered forget-me-nots. Yes. So you can see the two effects. Yeah. In one, we have a plant in each plug. It's perfect. And in the other tray, we have probably hundreds randomly all over the place. They're not the same age, are they? 
They are. That's interesting. Now, if I just describe them, the forget-me-nots that are in, indi- in, that are in individual cells, uh, well, two, three centimetres tall and looking green and healthy, um, the ones in a tray, they're all fighting for space. OK, you know, perhaps the argument is that they could have been um, pricked out and potted on, but uh, they're definitely less vigorous and um, half the size. And in terms of vigour and colour... They don't look as well. They don't, do they? No, they don't. So that they is don't. very interesting. Yeah. Um, any idea of the price of this product? Uh, I, I can't remember how much it was, but it's so small and so simple, it's probably going to be under £10. Well, it's interesting. I, I actually know the answer to this, because I do know this product. Um, they're twelve ninety nine, free delivery on Amazon. <laughs> um, what's really interesting is, um, where are we? 20 years ago, when I was uh, at... Herschel College, I went to Glee, which is uh, an exhibition, I think it's a trade exhibition, isn't it? I think it's at the NEC in Birmingham. And there was a stall, or a stand, selling this very item. 20 years ago, 12 99 10 quid on the day cash. So, in 20 years, they haven't changed in price. It's amazing. Do you think, <laughs> do you think they're making less money? Do you think they're getting them made more cheaply? Oh, it's hard to imagine you could charge much more for them. Well, in real terms, they would have come down because if 20 years ago it was twelve ninety nine, it would probably be the equivalent of 35 quid yeah, today. Yeah, exactly. So in real terms, it means they have come down in price, but it's probably because they're selling them in, in huge numbers now. Yes. Uh, so the price of the manufacturer has come down. I think it's really interesting that you've recommended this because, do you know what? I've seen them in a lot of greenhouses throughout, you know, every time I visit a garden, but I haven't yet found somebody who actually uses them and recommends them. So that is very interesting. Um, yeah, interesting product. Um, now, that needle you mentioned, or I mentioned that's on the end, th- aren't they interchangeable? They are interchangeable. There's different sizes available. This is the smallest one, and there's other sizes that you can stick on the end, and I'm just showing them to Joff now. And each of the different sizes has got a, a, a different aperture. Oh, yeah, you get three. You get three, and the apertures Gosh, range from, from tiny, 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 probably half a millimetre. If that, yeah. For really tiny seeds, up to one which is probably still less than a, a millimetre. Uh, so, yes, you can use, use them for a whole range of different sorts of seed. Yeah. Well, that is a brilliant project. Thanks for that, Jeff. Um, so, that's the Pro Seeder. It's about. 10, 12 quid, depending on where you shop. I know last time I saw it, it was about 12, 12.99 on Amazon, free delivery. Um, worth a try, I'd say. Um, as I say, interesting, Jeff has recommended it. Um, I thought it might go the way of the garden claw. Everyone has one, but nobody uses one. Um, but it's interesting, you're actually finding it useful in your work. So thanks, Jeff. Um, look forward to meeting you next time. And uh, look forward to you surprising me with something uh, interesting. Thank you. Thank you. brilliant Jeff thanks very much I did enjoy that I hope everybody listening did too Um, that's just about the end of the show thanks very much to Richard Gatenby thanks very much to Barnsley House thank you very much to Julie Julie Dolphin from Misden Nursery and uh, I'm looking forward to the next episode episode four I'm going to be speaking to John Sales John has a book coming out at the start of March 2018 Shades of Green Um, in that book John talks about 50 gardens that he'd worked with over the years and um, we 
pick apart one or two because we simply don't have the time to talk about them all so i'm looking forward to that hope you are too and uh, may your secateurs be well honed and your box be free of blight i'll see you next time <laughs>